Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Jess de Vals. Originally from Berlin, Jess de Vals has quickly established her name as the Enfant Terrible of British textile arts. Feminism, misogyny, and fetishism combined with creative textile recycling plays a major part in her prolific output. Jess creates highly intricate embroideries as well as hand-sewn relief portraits from upcycled clothing, a technique for which she has coined the term retext sculpture. Supporting female liberation while critically exploring contemporary feminism and embracing recycling and reuse are paramount to her practice. Her extensive body of work has been exhibited and sold internationally, featured online, as well as in print. In addition to her own practice, Jess also teaches her very own style of contemporary embroidery in national and international workshops. I welcome Jess DeVaz to Savage Minds. I came across your name in what occurred to you after your 2019 blog entry where you wrote, a woman is an adult human female, yeah. not an identity or feeling. And mm. you also asserted that humans cannot change sex. So <laughs> as a result of this statement, the Royal Academy removed your work from its gift shop over your views, which some complained as being transphobic. Yes. The Royal Academy also wrote on Instagram, something I found a bit alarming. It said, thank you to all those for bringing an item in the RA shop by an artist expressing transphobic views to our attention. This of course erupted in upheaval from both sides of the argument. Can you tell our listeners about what happened and some of the things that we definitely did not read about in the papers mm -hmm. as to why your work was pulled from the Royal Academy's gift shop and the implications to your career? Sure. Um, so, I mean, the item in that gift shop was actually uh, floral patches, floral embroidery patches, which have nothing whatsoever to do with uh, my thoughts and opinions. Um, and this this has just been the end of a long string, I suppose, of <laughs> a, a harassment campaign, if you will, since I did write that blog in 2019, because uh, the same people that um, that have uh, started the pile on with the Royal Academy this time, which is uh, I like to call the uh, the the guild of envious embroiderers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they um, because it always starts somewhere, and it seems to be the same type of people who seem to start this uh, the the pile ons the you know, the campaigns against me, the complaints against me. It was uh, an embroiderer who started uh, with the Royal Academy who, who went on her Instagram and uh, when, when, so someone found out um, after the Royal Academy had already stocked my, my, my patches for more than a year, someone had found out that um, I had just re-delivered something to them, like, like an order. And the only way they could have found that out was because uh, I posted it on my Patreon, which is the subscriber only platform. So somebody's obviously paying to <laughs> get this information about me, which is quite staggering, to be fair. Um, it's it's quite the commitment to try and get me out of a job. But so this is this is how this whole started with the Royal Academy. But uh, I, initially it started with a blog that I wrote. And ever since I've been sort of declared persona non grata, I had to leave my um, little hair salon, which I had as a sort of subsidized business for my art um, that I ran out of Soho Theater in the, in the cabaret dressing room two days a week. And I, I was there for eight and a half years. And then I, I wrote that blog and I did the embroidery um, that I called somewhere over the rainbow something went terribly wrong <laughs> and um and and you know I anticipated a backlash but I, I I I had no concept of knowing what how bad that could be <laughs> it was pretty terrible um and within two or so months of posting the block I ended up having to leave uh Soho Theatre because the, the pressure just got so big from um online mops if you will who who asserted pressure on the theater and uh, on me and eventually we decided that it's better for both of us you know that I left because I didn't feel that comfortable anymore being in the middle of Soho uh, and 
you know, people knowing where I work, it didn't feel that great anymore. And then what followed was, a, you know, basically just a two-year smear campaign against me. Anything I touched, anybody I worked with, everybody uh, was immediately sort of tarnished with the brush of, oh, if you work with her, you must also be transphobic, which is ridiculous in and of itself. And I don't even entertain the idea that I am transphobic because, I mean, so if if uh, understanding basic human biology and knowing that humans can't change sex makes me transphobic well then I guess you know guilty as charged but that's just ridiculous because <laughs> that's that's not a minority viewpoint that I have and it's not even a viewpoint it's what we're being taught in school so um yeah so they they kept every time I would collaborate with someone there was like my little um anti-fan club if you will who started pile-ons onto the people <clears throat> that I collaborated with. So at some point I decided to no longer do that because it just felt horrendous to have to fend off these self-righteous little warriors every time. So I just kind of worked on my own stuff. And since I had to leave Soho Theater and then COVID happened, I really had time to concentrate on my art. And it turns out there's a lot of people who um, like my work and support my work. And so I managed to actually um, become more successful the more time I spent on my art and and stick to my guns because I think a lot of people they get faced with this backlash and they back down they turn around and they repent as you know expected and demanded by the mob <laughs> which I never have and I, I won't because it's just a ridiculous proposition and I stand by everything I wrote two years ago so then this whole Royal Academy thing um, started off and I just looked at it much the same as what had happened in the previous two years. So for me, it was just another, oh, here we go, great. Yeah, yeah. And I completely underestimated just how big, how much bigger <laughs> this was. Because for me, it was just another place where I stocked my work, you know? Um, right. But the outrage was huge with the embroidery community. Uh, and I'm, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't consider myself part of any such community. But um, uh, I've been ostracized by them nonetheless, according to. <laughs> a handful of people and so um it's all started off and it started spiraling unbeknownst to me because I had blocked kind of the worst offenders for a long time and then people started sending me screenshots telling me what had been going on all day already <clears throat> sorry unbeknownst to me and uh yeah before long the Royal Academy got in touch emailed me saying oh we had eight complaints from the public uh which I mean really <laughs> Eight complaints is a bit laughable, but anyway, so so that email was still very, very friendly, and they um, said, "Well, we need to investigate." So I said, "Look, you know, uh, eight complaints is hardly representative of the members of the public, and I can bring you an extent of that quite easily with people who will share my viewpoints on this, which are, as of uh, Maya Forstapper's case, protected by law, also. So uh, let's not do this in the public." <clears throat> And so then within a day, instead of getting back to me, they did what you originally already said, that they posted this on their Instagram story to their like half a million followers, that they will know, like they will think they were thanking those that brought it to their attention, which is just so insane. I mean, that, yeah, that wording in and of itself was ridiculous and that they will no longer stock this artist, you know, never mind that they just had restocked me. And then, um, <clears throat> I was made aware of that and I just took a screenshot because like I said for me it was just another uh okay well great <laughs> onwards and upwards and then I took a screenshot and posted it on my Twitter and just said that's where where we're at because in the meantime lots of people had been in touch with me um saying is there anything we can do can we get in touch with the Royal Academy and I was like Look, let's just not get into a mudslinging fest here let's see if I can resolve this sort of quietly behind the scenes because I really have no desire to make this blow up but then of course it really did blow up <laughs> so I posted that on Twitter and uh, yeah put my phone to the side and then woke up to just a lot of uh, journalists in my inbox <laughs> and it kind of really spiraled from there and just really hit mainstream within a day of that so yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting they picked on you because I've spent a lot of time in the Royal Academy, mm. including its bookshop and gift shop. Mm -hmm. And they have books 
on the body. They have books on figurative drawing. Mm -hmm. They have books on the body. There's one, in fact, that's entitled Body of Art that includes works from Maya Lin, Anthony Gormley, yeah. uh, Marina Abramovich, etc. They chose to target you, mm. not Bruce Nauman, not Joan Jonas, you know. And there's something to be said for the way that the Royal Academy took eight complaints, mm. had zero knowledge of how these these people function. Mm. But one, those eight complaints could have been the same person with sock accounts, or more likely, they organized together to do this. Someone put something up in a forum, private or public, Reddit or otherwise, and said, well, we found that Just yeah, yeah. Oz has done something very transphobic, so here's the email of the Royal Academy, everyone write. Now, the fact the Royal Academy was willing to put out such a statement on social media mm -hmm. as to what transphobic alludes to without really defining it is alarming because Anyone who's been on Twitter for five minutes knows that transphobic means nothing. I hate to say it. Yeah, yeah. There is nothing behind it. In fact, I'm a bit more of a radical in the sense of, I don't think it's like some women even say, well, there is real transphobia. Mm, no, what mm. there is is there's misogyny and mm -hmm. there is homophobia. And then there yeah. is this thing that they are calling transphobia, which is disagreement of opinion. And I don't yes. think that institutions like the Royal Academy are clued in, partly because mm -hmm. of the people they employ, like Adam Kozari, who infamously tweeted, after they issued you an apology, mm -hmm. he tweeted, yeah. Google define performative, which was a veiled criticism yep. of his employer's apology to you. Mm -hmm. So I have to wonder, Jess, is this a case, perhaps, that institutions like the Royal Academy are not really being captured entirely, but they have some folks like Kozari working for them as their social media guru who have a hold on their institutional public face such that they can go to Instagram and Twitter and make such statements and their employer remains a bit dependent on them for the social, cultural, and even age variant interpretations. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to be fair, I don't think he actually still works for them. Uh, he doesn't. As far as I've... Heard, <laughs> <yeah>. um, <clears throat> well, you know, I don't wish anybody out of a job, but he seemed to have wished himself out of a job. So, you know, congratulations, I should say. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think um, I've been pondering the, about this uh, quite a few times, and I do think it is... Um, for the longest time, people kept saying this stuff is just in the universities. I mean, you know, it starts in America. It, it, it's just in the universities. This is, you know, they're going to hit real life and they're going to realize all this nonsense is not going to translate into real life, you know, um, except that's nonsense. You know, it does. It, it is translating into real life in a very authoritative way. And it's exactly what you just said. These people are being employed by um people who don't you know who look at this and go uh, you know social media i'm gonna i'm gonna give this job to someone who clearly knows what they're doing um and then these people become gatekeepers they become a bit drunk on their own power i think and uh they make executive decisions as we've seen with this guy and and I completely don't even think through the consequences it seems and so yeah no it's a huge problem and i think um I think a lot of people uh, in sort of the higher up positions, they, uh, they, they sort of, they worry that they'll take the wrong step and they will get the backlash and the wrath of the youth or, you know, I don't know. So, so they, yeah, so they hand it over to, yeah, to these gatekeepers. And that's a huge problem. That is definitely institutional capture. And I mean, we see it everywhere it's everywhere you see you see it in museums you see it in universities like look at what happens or what just happened to Kathleen Stock and Joe Phoenix and you know I mean the list is quite long now which is hilarious when people say oh there's no such thing as cancel culture and you go well actually look at this list <laughs> so no I do think I do think um uh, there's this ideology has has well and truly come off screen and uh has sort of you know festered itself into organizations and that's really dangerous and I think um, I, I don't know I hope that people are slowly starting to wake up to this at least it kind of feels like that here in the UK but um, 
I don't know. I'd, I'd also, you know, I also don't want to be too optimistic because I do think we're in a really dangerous place because I have so many conversations with people who say, you know, I completely agree with you, but I couldn't say that at work because I would um, be sacked. And that in and of itself, that should give you pause. <laughs> that that should mean you really should speak. In fact, everybody should speak because what's happening is pluralistic ignorance. People think uh, that if they say this, you know, like, Everybody, everybody else uh, thinks against them. It's a bit like what we had with the Stasi in East Berlin, you know. It's actually, in fact, a lot like that. Um, so everybody is too scared already to speak when, in fact, that is a majority-held view. And it isn't an opinion. It's not an opinion that humans can't change sex. That's just a fact. And it's utterly bizarre to me when I look at Twitter and I hear, have these people who go completely pompously oh yeah but it's a, it's you know it's it's just proven humans can change sex and i'm like what <laughs> but jess i'm sorry there's something you're missing here that i hate to have to get you educated as they say in internet parlance but nemo Mm. Nemo is at the fore of this, right? I mean, isn't it amazing that we're having discussions that yeah. even at the time of Da Vinci would have been what the hell? And now yeah. the reference is a Disney fish. Amazing. A Disney fish and also slugs, according, according to what uh, Margaret Atwood. <laughs> it's just, I cannot, it's, it's quite remarkable. I, I'm, I'm reading uh, The End of the World is Flat at the Moment. Uh, yes. by by Simon, Simon Edge and it is it is hilarious <laughs> and it is so accurate and in, in sort of observing the lunacy that's happening right now I'm literally laughing my way through this book and at the same time I'm not because it's just so it means it so exactly it's like what you said it's it's you've got seemingly intelligent people in fact intelligent people actually completely guzzled up this ideology and i think in part it's people who are too scared to say something in other part it's people who should know better but who have been completely brainwashed it's brainwashed you know i it's i can't explain it any other way it's bizarre if you had told me that this began after covid or during covid and i might think Okay, people were going through some really tough psychological moments, living yeah. with too many flatmates, what have you. But this has been going on since the early knots in terms of a radical yeah. movement that is seeking out to target mm -hmm. people. I'll give you an yeah. example for myself. Before the show, you and I discussed how I was teaching at Goldsmiths and miraculously my visiting professorship disappeared after my first publication, June of 2013, on this issue. Now yeah. that aside, what I find really alarming in all this is that you've got an institution like Goldsmiths that has been chock full of this. I've had discussions with colleagues there who were too afraid to speak out. We're talking back in 2013 and 14 still. Mm. I've had colleagues who've sent me messages. You refer to the Stasi. It reminded me of this then. They mm. wanted to meet up. They were afraid to put anything into email and they would tell me about some of the things that they had witnessed. Yet, we've got a crisis where some maintain this came uniquely from academia. I think it's a bit more complex than that, mm -hmm. where an ideology that is supplanting basic science that you would fail a GSC exam or you wouldn't even get into university unless you understood that men yeah. are not women, that mm -hmm. the female sex is the one that gets pregnant, etc etc mm -hmm. and what i wonder about in all of this is how the capture has gone so far into institutions we know which ones are more captured than others but there seems to be mm -hmm. a lot of it at goldsmiths and leeds for instance i'm throwing out two there yeah and at the same time these institutions are within walking distance of some of the countries, if not the world's foremost scientific institutions. What is going on when you have an institution that takes, let's say your flower art mm -hmm. pieces. When we think of flowers, maybe some people will go right to Georgia O'Keeffe and that image that was compared to the female anatomy. And they will attempt to make into 
are something that's a meta-narrative. As you pointed out, you had not made any commentary in your artwork about anything to do with gender. And I'm thinking to this quote, I'm going to read you this quote by Walter Benjamin. He says, fascism attempts to organize the newly proletarianized masses without affecting the property structure from which the masses strive to eliminate. Fascism sees its salvation in giving these masses not their right, but instead a chance to express themselves. The masses have a right to change property relations. Fascism seeks to give them an expression while preserving property. The logical result of fascism is the introduction of aesthetics into political life. I've been saying this for years in terms of the left seems to have, have abandoned entirely historical material analysis from worker yeah. relations to housing <laughs> to sex-based analysis. Like, why are women fewer in prison than men? Why do women commit fewer murders, et cetera, et cetera. But the left has abandoned this. Instead, they go after you, they go after Kathleen Stock, they go after many women who are not making it into the media at all because they're coming from working class backgrounds. I've had a few of them on the show. They say to me, I'm not even political. I had Carrie Black on the show. I'm not even political. You have so many people who recognize, they don't even have to be feminists. They recognize that men are not women. And this has become the way the left has derailed all material reality, while, as Benjamin says, giving people a chance to express themselves. Has self-expression replaced material analysis on the left? Oh, I think so, yeah. And I mean, I would say also what you were referring to with the flowers, it wasn't, they didn't even attempt to turn it into something because I mean, unquestionably, I do make political statements with my other artwork, but in this particular instance, they were just seeking <clears throat> to censor me as a person. It wasn't, it hadn't anything to do with the artwork, but they didn't even make a secret out of that. It wasn't, you know, there was no uh, them trying to interpret it. It was purely based on my opinions. And uh, so, yeah, no, I think uh, this, the, the, the left... <laughs> I, you know, I don't even, I can't even call things left and right and, and even center anymore. It just feels so all over the place because what they traditionally stood for, uh, that doesn't seem to be the case any longer. And so, yes, it's all about self-expression. It's all about the I, the me, the I have to say something. And there's also something really tribal because I find that, um, as I was saying earlier, you know, the guilt of envious embroiderers, I, I, you know, like me and my friends sort of call it that piss-taking me. But in a way, there's truth in that because it seems as though when you look at a lot of um, <clears throat> the people that these things happen to, oftentimes the the initial instigators seem to be people out of the same field as them you know you've got the whole knittergate and uh, i've seen some some stuff like the purity cycles and the yarn <laughs> community and it just i mean it even sounds ridiculous but but it does feel like a chance for for sort of you know uh people to a express themselves but also b rip someone down who's made a success out of themselves in one way or another you know um so I, I don't know I mean there's nothing there's nothing leftist about what's happening there because I would I would always have placed myself on the on the left in terms of values you know and progressive values many times but what's now classed as progressive to me is actually completely regressive we're completely reverting backwards to super sexist stereotypes when people just you know a, a lot of people who haven't actually looked into what's being talked about they would say like oh but why can't someone just you know if they want to feel if they feel like a woman and I keep saying what does it feel like to be a woman if you're not a woman how on earth would you possibly be able to know and try and explain without using sexist stereotypes and there's nothing silence you know it's i would even go further i i tell people this all the time i've had three children and i still don't know what it feels like to be a woman now i can say what a woman physically does and experiences or at least this woman but because they also like to run to well what about women born without uteri what about yeah. women who don't <laughs> yeah. want to have children what about menopausal women so they turn it on as if we're now ageist hacks mm -hmm. but they get around the specificity 
of reality because there is something really important about what women experience and the link to the fact that oppression exists within certain strains of society. It can be class-based, it can be immigrant, it can be female, it can be children. It just seems like this entire movement has been created to punk us all. There are days that I wonder, has someone just funded a massive joke on us and mm. is laughing? I just don't know what to think some days. I don't, yeah, I mean, I've been having many of those conversations and tried to work it out, but I, I don't even, I mean, it feels like a huge joke, but like uh, not at the same time. I think there's a huge financial uh, drive behind all of this, you know, because um, if you think about how uh, women have been fed for the longest times, you know, all this, all the, the ideas that, you know, if you're not this, then uh, you can't be happy, like you need to be slim, you need to be this, you need to be that, like all the products that were being sold constantly, because, you know, an unhappy, like an unhappy person makes a great customer, right? So then, um, I think up until the 2000s, there was the, you know, the male grooming industry was virtually zero in terms of advertisement, and it's shot up, uh, you know, immeasurably since the 2000s. And, and now it almost feels as though, well, that market has maybe not been saturated but maybe brought as far as possible and then you look at well what if we have another I don't know like 130 new genders and gender identities and all this nonsense where it sells right I mean the stuff that I've seen online oh look I've seen non-binary clothes finally something I can wear and I'm thinking gee I, like that's the sort of stuff we used to wear in the 90s when I was a kid you know <laughs> we didn't we just called it clothes you know and 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 I, I do think there's a huge there's a huge market. Uh, it, it's it's a self-feeding machine, and it's hysterical to me when those same people have all the same stuff in their bio. You know, like anti-capitalism, Marxist. And I'm thinking, you have no clue what you're talking about. You are literally uh, being milked by the machine, and you don't even know it. You don't. <laughs> it's. Yeah, so so I do think there's a huge uh, financial incentive for um, for a lot of big companies to 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 promote this ideology. I do think so, and it it exerts control and it takes away control, particularly from women. And well, you know that's always been a huge favorite, hasn't it? <laughs> so yeah, there's multiple multiple reasons why I think this has landed so firmly because, you know, it, when people try and attack me online and they come with all this, oh, you're white, het, cis, whatever, all the, all the labels. And I'm like, well, no, actually, I'm just Jess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's like this incessant need to put people in boxes and and categorize them and, and pack them up and how dare they venture out of those boxes you know imagine if I would turn around right now and say that I identify as non-binary I wouldn't be allowed to would I? I I don't know if you saw that video with the guy who pro, like who who went to the Netflix employees um, protest with the sign saying I like Dave jokes oh he funny. was on the show last week oh, re oh god I have to listen to that I yeah you'll laugh He's yeah. great. He is yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And, know, and he was so calm. <laughs> and he's exactly, I told him I wouldn't have kept my cool. And yeah. the thing yeah. here is that I wouldn't have because yeah. they were being aggressive towards him. And yeah, yeah. he, you should listen to the show because it, he really gets at the heart of so much. And mm. I was relieved as we spoke, because sometimes when I talk about this issue with people who know that we're right but are afraid maybe to say so on the show yeah. i was worried he might say well no no he didn't go down the nemo routine <laughs> it's so much irony behind a movement that has done what i call the cha-cha-cha in terms of arguments because it's <laughs> yeah. gender is not between your ears it's between your legs sex is between your ears cha-cha-cha and <laughs> sex is emotional and gender is biological cha-cha-cha then when they say don't reduce us to the sum of our parts and then yeah. we're uterus havers cha-cha-cha menstruators cha-cha-cha yeah. and yeah. you're like do you guys mm -hmm. hear yourself? And the funny thing about the guys at Netflix <laughs> that really Vito cracked me up because I first saw the tweet by his partner 
mm-hmm. partner who got his head bashed in, by the way. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. And what killed me, he said, what did he say? Comedy is funny or something like jokes are funny. That's it. <laughs> jokes are funny. And I thought this is a brilliant protest. So yep. that's when I reached out to them and I saw that mm-hmm. first tweet. Now here we are. And, and of course, Vito talks about the irony of people who do screenwriting and comedy, the irony right, yeah. that they want to no platform others. But this is where you are too. You are yeah. being no platformed by people who run an institution, who work for and within the institution of art. Mm-hmm. And art, as anyone knows who's read Two Seconds of History, has always been at the intersections of cultural and political debates. Now, let's step back to the 1980s. You're, you're mm-hmm. a bit younger than me. And in the 1980s, I was in the university and there was flaming the culture wars in the US from the far right with Jesse Helms going off about Robert Mapplethorpe's photos of black buttocks. I'm quoting. He was obsessed with this. Ne'er did I ever think back then that I would once wish that he were around because that was lightweight compared to what we're dealing with today because back then, even his peers within the Republican Party, many of them knew he was batshit nuts. Now, yeah. today, it's far worse because it's our people, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I have to keep putting that in quotes because like yeah. you, this has completely obliterated left right, which is why I have issues even when gender critical feminists say, oh, but they collaborated with the right. I, I'm like, are you hearing yourself? I yeah. know journalists who publish with right-wing magazines and then yeah. criticize some of the women in North America who have reached across the aisle. Because yeah. there are many things to say from this. Feminism is not only for whom you like or left-leaning mm-hmm. women, first of all. Let's begin there. Yeah. If anything, the argument could be better made that feminism might be more needed amongst the right, but leave that. Mm-hmm. Then we've got this, this notion that if you speak to the rights of women, that you are somehow left or right. But wait, women's bodies span that spectrum, as it were. I never thought I'd hate a word spectrum so much in my life, but I'm going to reuse <laughs> yeah. it. The spectrum yeah. or the umbrella. Yeah. So we've got this spectrum, umbrella, whatever, sleeping bag of identities <laughs> out there that we're all supposed to be choosing. And, and of course, I was offended by cis from the get-go because I'm like, wait a sec, my entire life I've had to fight against these kinds of normative prejudices and let's call them what they are because they are prejudicial i don't yeah. wake up thinking where's my laura ashley flower print dress that i want to wear <laughs> and yeah. where are my as my friend calls them fuck me pumps this is the thing is i actually don't think the clothes have much to do with gender they have much more to do with the individual putting on those clothes and how he or she mm-hmm. wants to feel or dress <laughs> and you're having to defend your right to make a living So I really like your art. I had a look at a lot of your work in the weeks after your name came into UK media. And (laughs) I was very impressed with the fact that you don't just talk the talk. It's not just about your one-off blog, let's say, on transgender (laughs) identity. You do what you have called a retext sculpting. And this is something mm-hmm. that reminds me of some of the work of Louise Bourgeois and how mm-hmm. she worked with certain types of fabric, uh, Louise Messager as well. And mm-hmm. I was just wondering if you might situate some of your art within the larger discourse of, of formally <laughs> working class and historical materialist art. Hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I think I should say to that that I've never studied art. I've sort of self-studied in the sense that I read lots of books on artists that I like and uh, lo and behold Louise Bourgeois was someone I came across actually quite late (laughs) and and I love her work absolutely love her work Um, but for me the drive with the retext sculptures in particular which currently I'm not doing so much because I got so obsessed with embroidery (laughs) and I just got hooked but the retext sculptures um that was driven initially really by um, thinking about uh, recycling and how we don't do that and and how we just dispose of everything and what is the worth in something if it's made out of something that's otherwise trash or discarded. And that, that was my thinking behind it. It really wasn't a, a, a sort of like 
mm, deeper thinking about its positioning, if you will. And the same with embroidery. I think it became much clearer to me the longer I've been embroidering, uh, just how much importance that art form actually has within feminism and within women's resistance uh, historically. It's, it's almost like I started it um, without having thought about it. And by doing it, it forced me to think about it deeper and read about it more and learn more to that effect, which now seems to make it even more meaningful, you know, in all sorts of ways. So, so my, my work is concerned with environmental issues and with feminist issues, um, first and foremost, and it feels as though the issues came first in my thinking, because I'm a trained hairdresser at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, that's how I came into art. And, and, and the concerns were in my head first. And I think art has been for me uh, always the way to express them best. And as you were saying about the block about the trans issues, uh, I've never written a blog before. It really was, it was an attempt to not be misrepresented, which of course was futile only in the sense that those people who were hellbound to misrepresent me, they, they managed to do that regardless. But, you know, it's been read by hundreds of thousands of people at this point, and a lot of people um, completely understand and agree with it. In fact, the vast majority does. And the only reason I did write the blog um, was so that I could uh, sort of put, put, you know, some of my thoughts to the piece that I did. Usually I would make pieces and I quite like the idea that you give, you know, uh, you make the art with your intentions in mind and you do give artist statements, but I, I think, you know, art is also what the viewer brings to it and, you know, makes out of it themselves and how it speaks to different people. But so, uh, yeah, I, I haven't thought about it in any sort of academic sense. It's always been driven from um, solution finding, I would think. You know, it's same with the patches, the, pet, the flower patches. The initial thought behind that was to create like an incentive for people to recycle their old, old clothes. I thought, you know, it's, it's one thing to stand there and go, oh, you should recycle. You shouldn't throw things away. You should reuse things. You should appreciate clothes and, and that everything goes into landfills and it's really terrible. That's one, that's one way, you know, that's the stick approach. And I thought, well, what about if we did the, the carrot approach? If we say, look, yeah, create something so pretty that maybe you look at it. And this is what's been the response throughout that people look at the patches and go, they're so pretty. I, now I need some old jeans jacket, you know, and then they actually even go to um, secondhand shops and, and get themselves something old because it just works so nicely. Um, so, so that's usually how I structure uh, my work and, and, the thought that goes behind it yeah and the same with feminist um issues i i find that the visual expression even though i do like to write and i do like to talk but the visual expression has always been sort of my preferred way of uh putting things out in the world and engage with people about these issues you're listening to savage minds and we hope you're enjoying the show please consider subscribing we don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. We are seeing a movement that many feminists call a men's rights activist movement. This is just mm -hmm. a faction of it. And I cannot disagree with them, to be honest, because mm -hmm. when we see that women do the brunt of unpaid labor. Mm -hmm. They bear the brunt of global inequality and they are paid far less, even in Western societies than men. Yeah. Globally, women spend 4.5 hours of their day doing unpaid work, for instance. Mm -hmm. In wealthier countries, the gap is smaller, but the problem is that even in countries like let's say Norway, where women are said to be more on par, they still spend more than an hour of unpaid work than men. That's just yeah. an example. Where my yeah. family lives in India, that gets exploded out of, um, out of belief. So yeah. how can we approach this as, let's say, private citizens within our places of work? I mean, you work independently, so do I. Mm -hmm. We depend upon a public face in terms of I use social media for mm -hmm. a lot of my public face, not all of it. 
those people who are working for employers, that they know if they speak out or if they put their name on their Twitter account, that they will be out of a job. Is it not high time that parliamentarians get around to drafting a bill that deals more forcefully with this kind of online harassment? Because so much of this has come from online. When you leave Twitter sphere or Instagram and you go into your local Waitrose or Tesco's and you ask someone if that's a man or a woman, they're just going to look at you like you're mad. Yeah, see, yes, I, I think it is time for that. But at the same time, I just saw some proposition about some uh, prison uh prisonable offense were say if you it, it was about online harassment i don't want to uh, make up stuff now but it was some sort of proposition that if you cause a pile on or um if someone feels uncomfortable you can get into prison after two years that was some strange new thing i just saw a couple of days ago uh that people were sort of discussing on on twitter sphere and of course, the issue then is, uh, what if someone says something ridiculous, like say Margaret Atwood at the moment does, and uh, and then there's like hundreds of people who respectfully disagree. Uh, does that still count as harassment? Is that, you know, because I know it's all very uncomfortable. It's, uh, it's incredibly uncomfortable when hundreds of thousands of people pile on, because I've been there. But there's respectful disagreement, which can still feel really intimidating when hundreds of thousands of people do it. And and then there is uh, plain out harassment, which is what I've been getting and which Kathleen has been getting and lots of other women have been getting and men too. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how easy that is to to discern, you know? it's um... No, clearly we can't just have pylons as the determinant because pylons can be even as bad as they can be. They can be also productive. Mm -hmm. I would say the the line should be perhaps where people start writing employers over personal thoughts on Twitter's yeah Twitter yeah. that the real burden of responsibility should be falling on, on employers to say mm -hmm. thank you for writing us that is her private account good day you yeah. know why is that not happen happening and as you notice because it's going on in in London everywhere for the last decade mm, yeah. everyone wants to put their badge of this is who we are and we received this award I'll yeah. give you an example this is something I'm sort of breaking a trust of on my own, but I'm very happy to do it because I sort of want to go public with this. I was pregnant and mm. I was on the job market. I had just come back from a, a post at the University of Liverpool in China, mm -hmm. and I wanted to secure a job in academia. I had two interviews the same day. It will not surprise you that on both interviews, both interviews, the first one being at the London School of Economics, I was discriminated mm. against. And it was shocking to see a panel of all women mm -hmm. say to me, well, and they didn't notice that I was pregnant. I was wearing this Japanese short dress, long mm -hmm. shirt, depending on how you view it. And they said, is there anything, they, they let me know I was a top candidate. They said, is there anything stopping you from beginning the post first of September? And I said, no, but around the 26th, I am gonna need to take probably a day or two off. Mm -hmm. And they said, why? And I pointed at my stomach and I said, mm -hmm. well, I'm going to have a baby. The, th <laughs> three, the women on this panel gasped and they said, oh my God, are you sure you, you want to have a job and teach? That's a lot of responsibility. Another oh, said, wow. don't you want to be home with your child? This went on. And let oh, me wow. tell you, my heart sunk. I couldn't mm. even believe it because A, I was really pregnant and I was not yeah. like one of those women that gets pregnant and you don't know. I was mm -hmm. an incredibly thin woman who got pregnant. So it was more than obvious, but maybe the dress and who knows, they didn't see it, whatever. Yeah. But what sunk my heart was this, this reaction. Long yeah. story short, I had to go through this mediation process where I was offered peanuts. And the, the mediator kept saying, what do you want? And I said, well, they said I had the job. I want the job. No, they've already offered it to someone. I said, no doubt a penis wow. haver, but what not? This yeah. is part of the problem that we've got now a trans activist stroke MRA tranche of society filled mm -hmm. by not only men, but women. Mm -hmm. And yeah. women are having to speak up to the most base 
factor of biology, that we get pregnant, we have children, men do not. Is there something, do you think, of a backlash that men are facing? Because let's face it, in 2021, they are not getting the jobs that they got in the 1970s or 1980s. They are mm -hmm. not getting the senior ranking posts that they once had. And they are in direct competition with vagina havers. <laughs> Is this a bit of presentiment? Hmm. Um, I well, so I've been thinking about that myself for quite a bit, and I, you know, um, I mean, I consider myself a feminist, um, but I do think this uh, othering of the, like I was saying earlier, the cis het white uh, whatever male, um, I I often wondered whether that has. Um, also produced a whole new demographic of uh, younger people, uh, men, <laughs> who who now have the choice of either becoming super woke or go completely the other way, because like, there's no middle ground anymore. So you're going to have to just go and go, yeah, 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 you know, trans women are women, I'm, I'm fully on board with this. And so that then you're part of the in-group, right? So you're not being rejected or you, I, get, I guess, become some sort of, complete right-wing nutter who goes the complete extreme polar opposite you know just like oh out and out hate women that doesn't seem to it it just becomes more and more difficult I guess to map out a middle path so yes I think maybe there is a certain level of resentment for the older uh, generations uh, a, a difficulty for younger ones to even find a place because if you're constantly if you grow up and you're constantly being told that you are um, the arch nemesis, the evil, you know, why wouldn't you then I want to identify as queer, you know, <laughs> you know? Uh, um, put some nail varnish on and go on they them I'm not I mean, I'm not one of those head cis white males. It, it just feels like in a way, uh, a terrible creation as a as a I don't want to say as a side effect of feminism, but uh, in a way it is all linked together too. And um, it's something that also needs addressing. There's yeah. also this other issue that you referred to several times, the Margaret Atwood issue, where she yeah. has come out. So TRA recently yeah. posted something that indicated that she might see our point of view and then doubled back. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's typical. Now, I keep thinking back to the Simone de Beauvoir quote where she says, the oppressor would not be so strong if he did not have accomplices among the oppressed. Yeah. Now, Margaret Atwood, author of a book where we now have the term handmaiden, became yeah. paradoxically the ultimate handmaiden. Yeah. And this is a real problem for me. It's more about the fact that she has cashed in. I'm presuming mm -hmm. she's making some money from the television series. Yeah. She's cashed in on a concept that she literally has created the yeah. antithesis of. Mm -hmm. And I find this both revolting and perplexing mm -hmm. as it is telling of women like her, because you put her, she's not even a minor writer. She's someone who, if she didn't se sell another book, unless she's got a severe gambling habit, would mm -hmm. be fine until the yeah, day she yeah. dies. Yeah. So what is it about someone like Margaret Atwood that would have her cycling absolute horseshit, mm -hmm. trying to convince her acolytes on social media that she's on, as Owen Jones would say, the right side of history, where yeah, we know yeah. You know, I keep having this fantasy. Here's my Owen Jones fantasy. Uh, oh, I, I love that. Should not be a sentence. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a fantasy of finding him at one yeah. of his hangout spots. I'm going to imagine he hangs out somewhere in Soho. I like that one cafe, that cafe right uh, on that corner that has really great pastries and a blue mm. awning. And I, I think of finding him and saying to him, Owen, baby, where have you been? And he's not going to recognize me, of course. I'll be like, <laughs> Owen, come on, please. I want you to suck my male clitoris and just <laughs> film it, you know? And I want to film that and put it out there. Now, because we know that he's full of shit in the same way that Margaret Atwood is full of shit. They say yeah. something that they do not walk. He is mm -hmm. not having sex with women who no, of course have not. You know, a male clitoris. Yeah. 
And Atwood is cashing in on the misery of women. So mm -hmm. what do you think is behind this? And, and I should say that Simone de Beauvoir has been echoed no. in other fields, such yeah. as Paulo Freire says this as well in Pedagogy of the Oppressed. He mm. warns of this. And it's not an uncommon social manifestation that there will be what Harriet Tubman calls the Uncle Tom. Mm -hmm. So we have Uncle Toms everywhere. We have the figure who is dying to get in with the ruling class by any means necessary. What yeah. do you think is driving those women, even lesser known than Margaret Atwood, to take part in the pylons that resulted in your work being pulled or Kathleen Stock having to leave the University of Sussex? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, because I do find that there's a lot of women involved in this. And again, I think a lot of um, feminists uh, don't want to hear that often, I think, but I would say the majority of people that piled onto me personally were women uh, from the embroidery world and also from the theater world. Uh, it was, yeah, the majority were women, sadly. I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I really don't have the answer for that. I find it perplexing to say the least that it is so, I don't know, is it internalized misogyny? Is it uh, some sort of power grab? I, I don't know, or want? <laughs> I can't explain it to myself because I'm, I'm not wired that way, which I guess is in part why I spoke up, you know, because I can't, I, I find that really, even women that I disagree with, I would not, I would not want, to wish that treatment upon, you know? Um, so I don't know, I can't, I can't believe that they actually believe what they're saying because that just seems too ludicrous. And if they do do, then we're really dealing with a cult. I mean, if they truly believe that, you know, I could understand if someone would kind of just go halfway and say, look, you know, uh, we've done it wrong with the gay rights movement. So now, you know, uh, let's just everybody live how they want to live. Because I mean, that's how it's been sold many times too, isn't it? So, so to try and make it out as though the same as gay people um, struggling for marriage equality and, and you know, against homophobia. But it's not the same. It's completely not the same. It's, as I said, it's, it's very uh, driven by, uh, you know, a, a different agenda. So I can't, I, I can't explain to myself or anybody else for that matter where someone like Margaret Atwood would throw women so spectacularly under the bus. And there's other high profile women too. I don't understand. <laughs> I just, it, it really does seem like they've been brainwashed. You know, it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of aspects of cultism within this movement mm -hmm. and the refusal to see reality is the most concerning, whether or not yeah. it's the female penis nonsense or the neo oh, God, argument yeah. or the yeah. intersex argument. I do have my doubts as to if this would have exploded in the way it has and not just been ignored even by politicians had it not been for social media. There's something mm. about this loudspeaker yeah. of people being able to retweet add commentary at their MP, at the person's employer, and try to call out people mm -hmm. in a very similar move that we saw during the medieval period, prior, oh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. There's yeah. this whole will to people, you know, the feminists will talk about witch burning, but let's leave witch burning aside. Repent. And mm -hmm. I, read, I wrote a piece uh, about this for an anthropological journal several years ago where I compared this movement to the move for auto da fe within the medieval era. Mm -hmm. and there's something about having to confess your sin and purify yourself. And this purity is coming at the expense, of course, of reality. It's, it's, is yeah. it Galileo? Is it Ptolemy? Where we have to now say the sun is at the center of the universe. The earth is flat. Mm -hmm. Women yeah. have penises. Why <laughs> would 20 somethings be interested in something that's so anathema to reality at the same time that they might even face unemployment as a result of such thoughts. I mean, can you imagine any of these folks trying to get a job at the NHS? They're a nurse, let's say, and they say, well, I have worked in maternity wards with pregnant people. 
especially mm -hmm. pregnant men. Can you imagine mm -hmm. that job interview? So I wonder to But what... I can now. That's the scary thing. I can. <laughs> no, because that is happening. I mean, I've, have you spoken to midwives? That is, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think you've spoken to Millie Hill as well, haven't you? Um, uh, uh, it, it, that, is hap that is happening. That's the really scary thing, actually. That, 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 that's not even abstract anymore, that people go and have job interviews. This is how deeply infiltrated this nonsense is. That's the scary part. So I don't know. I mean, and as you rightly said, it do, it is medieval. And when I was listening to Kathleen Stock yesterday, uh, you know, on Women's Hour, when she was saying it felt really medieval, I kept saying that when it all started in the first place, it does. It really, you feel a bit like you're being walked down the street between all the like screaming masses, you know, with the shame bell behind you. That's how it feels. Um, when you have any sort of public standing whatsoever, that's how it feels. And I'm sure that it feels like that in a small way, even if you don't have a public standing, but it's just in your sort of personal environment, people do that because it goes to the heart of ostracization. People don't, you know, it's it's a basic instinct to not want to be ostracized from the tribe. And the way, that's why I was, I was saying earlier that to me, none of this feels progressive. It feels super regressive. It feels like we've gone back in time. The behavior is the same as in medieval periods. And um, even though you said leave wood burning aside, but I mean, the fact that people are using flares and burning books and all this sort of stuff, it's like it, everything seems to be, we seem to have some sort of amnesia when it comes to uh, historical events at this point, when people just say, yeah, but, you know, but she said something transphobic. So, you know, so we can justify this behavior. And it's like, no, you can't, you can't justify that behavior. It is, it is positively medieval it really is when i was interviewing vito last week about the manifestation outside of netflix headquarters mm -hmm. we talked about this because one of the people that came up to him was a woman who told him to repent no oh, i know i saw that <laughs> God. yeah and so this is a group owen jones believes himself to be on the right side of history but there is the irony of of course the opposite and i think this era will go down where he will be even examined as some kind of mentally, I, I hate to say it, but he will go down as someone who is looked at perhaps mentally imbalanced, mm -hmm. who did not have a firm grasp on reality, or yeah. as I think he more deserves, is just being a capitalist hag who pretends to be anti-capitalist. The same mm -hmm. thing with Novara Media. They got hoisted by their own petard last week when they had their account removed from social media. And yeah. these are the lords the overlords the housemeister of all wokery in in yeah. london especially these yeah. people do not have any resonance of tone in the reporting it's just like pink news it's oh, transphobe yeah. this or mm -hmm. innocent trans woman so much of what happened to you what's happened to me what's happened to gazillions of women at this point and now men mm -hmm. is because we have these machineries of academic fake publications, academic institutions like Sussex that mm -hmm. had her back at the very last minute. It was already too little, too late for Kathleen. Yeah. And then the Royal Academy that rightfully made an apology to you. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder if they did not dismiss the bro dude tweeting on Twitter about you. And because mm -hmm. yours was a, a kind of victory, even though I'm sure it was not pleasant for you. Yeah. And at the same yeah. time, I, I was stared at by three women who couldn't believe I was pregnant for a job interview in 2014. So we know that women have babies. We know that sex is real. And we know that there are real sociological implications for all this. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Have you thought about making vagina art? I've been making vagina art. I've done loads of vagina art. This is the oh thing. Oh my God. I've missed yeah, the yeah. vagina art pieces. Yeah. I went straight to the flowers. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. This is why I was saying earlier, they didn't They didn't try and interpret uh, a vagina onto my flowers. I used to run, in fact, uh, vagestic embroidery workshops, <laughs> I used to call them, because uh, lo and behold, I used to... Um, the the woman that runs or ran I don't even know if it exists anymore the vagina museum I met her incidentally on the street in Edinburgh years ago because she saw my necklace with a big swinging ovaries and sort of jumped out on me he's like oh I love this you need to come see this exhibition so we started talking this was before I realized the the lunacy around the the trans rights movement if you will um 
Uh, because I came to all this quite late because I was so steeped in the midst of liberal or not so much liberal Soho. Um, I didn't see it. I did not see it. And um, so I met up with her and I thought it was a great idea to have a vagina museum. <laughs> so I designed some, some patterns and ran workshops and basically donated half of what I made uh, to help open that vagina museum. And then she went off on the deep end with the whole um, identity politic nonsense. I ran a vulva embroidery workshop at the Tate Modern in 2019 before I posted my blog, before I became persona non grata. Um, so yeah, no, I've done a hell of a lot of uh, majestic <laughs> art. And in fact, my brand is Big Swinging Ovaries. So, you know, it's this little pun I've been doing for years on on that name but it, it was initially a way for me of trying to it, it was a, an exhibition that I called like a retext sculpture exhibition that I called that name in 2014 because I wanted it to have sort of the feel of feminism without using feminism in its title the the uh, exhibition and I was saying to my husband then that I'm looking for something a bit like you know how they say big swinging dick for someone who's sort of the mover and the shaker if you will in English and I thought I want something like that but for women you know to just really express the <laughs> and and as I said uh, you know big swinging pussy doesn't sound quite right and uh, any any such abbreviation and and Actually, my husband came up with the big swinging ovaries and I thought, oh, that's great. <laughs> and it stuck. We were first laughing about it and then it stuck. And then I ended up making lots of puns and embroidery work about ovaries, such as, you know, fuck ovaries and uh, flovaries and hung ovaries. And I've got one that's end ovaries to sort of raise awareness about um, endometriosis. And uh, it was an ongoing string of that. So you know I've done lots of work uh, in that regard but uh, this is when I started to realize that people were getting more and more extreme when they started to say to me that what I'm doing is a bit problematic and when I eventually published my blog there were lots of people going I knew she was a turf because she was always doing this transphobic vagina art and stuff it's like oh I didn't even know I was interesting um, but that was what sort of started making me look up and go you know when when people that I knew out of the theater world and out of the club world and what and they would come to me and say things like oh you know it's a bit problematic or when you know there was the women's march and they all had the pussy heads on and suddenly there were all these articles sprouting up that trans women were so sad because you know the pussy heads are so exclusionary and I thought hey what are they on about? Like, I was genuinely quite oblivious to what was going on before then, because I just didn't think that people actually meant it when they said they think that trans women are women. I thought it was more of a polite kind of, oh, well, you know, what's it to us kind of thing. I didn't think that anybody would actually believe it. <laughs> so it did come as a bit of a surprise when I did realize that people were dead serious. And then they were getting so serious that I saw that people were losing jobs left, right and center when I started to look into it deeper. And then I couldn't and see what I saw and then eventually I felt like I'm gonna I do have a public platform I do make art um, that concerns very female issues you know so it's it's important for me to be able to talk about these things and name the, the things by their name and uh, if that's suddenly deemed transphobic then we're gonna have to have a conversation about it and Frankly, the point at which I did publish a blog was when I could no longer not say anything. I just, the more I learned about it, the more I was appalled about how women in particular were treated who did speak up on the subject. And I thought, I can't in any good conscience sit here and, uh, and I completely agree with them and not say anything. And, and yes, I get tons and tons of emails to this point where people say, oh, you know, I, I completely agree with you, but I worry to lose my job. And it's like, well... I did lose my job. I'm, I'm fortunate because I carved out, you know, I already did my art before then. And now I've spent so much time on it. And uh, of course, the Royal Academy backlash was so humongous that um, I basically sold out of everything, <laughs> which was great. Um, but 
but the reality is, is I did lose my job. I did lose the, the, the job that paid my rent. For sure, I live in London. You know, I need to be able to somehow pay my rent and it's not cheap. And, and so people say this to me, uh, completely ignoring the fact that, yes, I did, you know, speaking up did cost me my job and I did it anyway. And yes, my art now is successful, which is great. Um, but there was no guarantee for that. I did it because I couldn't not do it. I can't, I can't just look on when other people get pounded for saying the exact same thing, I believe, and, and, and do nothing. I can't do that. So I knew uh, there was a risk of me having to leave, and I did it anyway, because what's the alternative? Where, where are we heading if we all excuse ourselves by saying, well, but what if I lose my job? But what if you, okay, what if you keep your mouth shut and you don't lose your job, and then you just get one after the next thing pressed upon you, and you will not ever question anything again? That is authoritarianism. That's, that's fascism, in fact, you know. So, I, that that I, I get I get why people are afraid, but I also think well try and imagine what happens if everybody thinks like you, you know, try try and play that out in your head because that should make you more afraid because that's a reality and it's happened time and again in history if you look back I mean we've seen it many times. Thank you.